The word of the Lord, Old Testament, Genesis 1, verses 26 to 31. Then God said, Let us make man in our image and our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds of the air and all the creatures that move on the ground, everything that has breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. And from the New Testament in 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. How great is the love the Father has, call, has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made clear. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. This week's news struck just a little too close to home. A man named Irvin made the headlines. A man that my wife would see in the hallways from time to time of West LA's Kaiser Permanente and say, Hi, Irvin. A man whose wife, Anna, worked at the same facility he did. They weren't high and mighty people. They weren't powerful people. And in the end, uh, as the police said on the news report, it appears that he had been terminated with cause. Which means that if you know anything about unions and Kaiser, he did something significant to lose his job or didn't do a lot of things consistently to lose his job. But either way, he had lost his job and his wife had lost hers and they had five beautiful children. And in Wilmington, in the neighborhood in which they lived, they were known as uh, nice people whose kids played with the kids from a couple doors down. Normal neighbors. Now, I hope we all understand that with the story that follows, normal is not a word that applies. A note was written, again according to the news reports, that alleged that this was a plan he and his wife had made in the event of the situation they found themselves in. But all seven were found dead. 
with bullet holes and Irvin with the gun in bed with him. Now you can say this is a story about lost hope. Maybe it is. You can say it's a story about insanity. And maybe it is. You can say that it's a story about a family that lost its way and I suppose that's the least you could say. But in light of these kinds of stories, which by the way I believe will become increasingly frequent in the next two years, I think we need, and I'm not just reacting to this news story by the way when I put these thoughts together, I'm reacting overall to the stresses and strains I see and feel in society and in our congregation specifically. We need spiritual tools that Irvin and Anna didn't have. Spiritual tools to get us through the next couple of years. And so today I want to define what it is that makes us who we are. And I want to do that in spiritual terms because I think somehow, whether you want to call it a basis for psychological well-being or whether you want to understand it as a sort of grounding that might have prevented the kind of insanity that, that Irvin experienced and perhaps Anna, however you want to frame it, I think these tools will be helpful for us as we go forward and live. Now, I want to be perfectly clear. Christ came that we might experience life more abundantly. Did he mean a good economy forever? I can't hear you. I don't think he did. So when he said he wanted us to live and live more abundantly, it didn't necessarily mean that our property, which we purchased for 200000 would become worth $2 million, did it? In fact, there's no such guarantee in life. There's no guarantee that the property we purchase for two million won't become worth two hundred thousand. He must have meant something else when he said he wanted life for us more abundant. And I think Christ was referring to something much more spiritual. The two texts we read today are really helpful as we begin to think about this theme. Because one of the advantages of being people who believe in God, one of the advantages of being Christians is that we have several pegs, biblically, to hang our hat on, as it were, our coat on, to understand who we are. Now, when we ask, who are you, or or that question, it's not really a common question in English because it's a little more intense and, uh, and vague and personal than most of us would want to be with somebody. But chances are if you ask it, people will start with a career. They'll start with a name and they'll, they'll go from there to a career. And if I ask you to take out a pen, pencil and paper and start writing down who are you, chances are the page would be filled with uh, true and practical information. It wouldn't be so basic as name, rank, and serial number, perhaps. Most of us would reject that that is an identity. 
but it probably wouldn't contain the core spiritual points that all of us should peg our identity on. The first comes to us at the beginning of scriptures in Genesis. Now in this incredibly beautiful narrative, we have a description of the origin of things, ourselves included as it were. And in Hebrew poetry, Moses writes, the author of Genesis writes, that we were created in the image of God. In the image of God, we were created. Male and female, we were created. And this device called parallelism reinforces in the poetry the point of the story. You have Genesis. You have beginnings. You have creation. You have something generative happening. You have God moving in a creative way. And the earth is formed and all of its creatures. And God says something very specific. Let us make man in our image. Now, newer translations will make this inclusive. Let us make humankind in our image. And that's actually present, isn't it, when it says male and female created he them. Let us make man in our image and we will make mankind a plurality as well, male and female in our image. And so the thing that sets us apart from creation is not that we have breath of life. All creatures have breath of life, which is often confused for soul. But rather than, than just breath of life and body, being living beings, we have something that sets us apart in the narrative. We're created in the image of God. Now, one of the exciting things about this is that this word comes to us only once again. If you look at the Genesis translation of image into Greek, in the Greek New Testament, it only appears once again. So you have this very unique application. And this status that we enjoy is recognized again in the story of the thief on the cross. And what we have in this story is the connection between this image we being God's children and what happens in that story of the promise that two would be together in paradise because the thief on the cross is God's child and child and creator meet in a very unique moment 
facing one another on that hill, both suffering terribly. And this concept of being children of God is not unique to the text that I've mentioned or read. Jesus takes on human form and is our brother and our friend, our redeemer and our savior, our counselor and our guide, the one who reveals to us the father and the love of the father and the nature of the father's love, which is that the Father's love is such that he desires that none of us be lost, that all of us be with him forever. So we go to the story of Genesis and first, a few quick points. We're created in God's image after his likeness. We're created male and female. We're given a place to inhabit in which we have dominion. And boy, have we messed that concept up. We think it means we get to do what we want with the planet. But what it is meant is that you are to shepherd it and care for it and cultivate it. You are to beautify it. You are to sustain it. And we've ravaged it and raped it and plundered it. God defines us in creation as beings like himself. In the genealogies, you'll read so-and-so begat so-and-so who was the son of so-and-so who was the son of so-and-so and likewise and so forth. And I can't remember right off the top of my head whether it's Matthew or Luke, but one of those genealogies ends like this. The son of Adam, who was the son of God. Even the genealogies, unpronounceable as they are for most of us and tedious to many of us and boring, like part of the chapter we skip usually, contains this fascinating reference to Adam the son of God beautiful beautiful well we get to 1 John and we find the reference made again even in stronger terms different terms this time not by virtue of creation but by virtue of redemption 1 John 3 actually I'm going to start in verse 28 of 2 and now dear children continue in him so when he appears when he comes again we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming if you know that he is righteous you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him how great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God and what we 
will be has not yet been made known, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Now, what this is referring to, of course, is that we have washed our robes in the blood of the Lamb. We have been justified and purified. What it means is that we've repented of the rebellion which drove us out of this garden created for us, out of this paradise, the paradise that Jesus promises at the thief on the cross. It's driven us out of that and brought us instead to death and destruction. But Jesus reverses this process. The Father who wants us to be with him sacrifices the most important person of all, himself and his son, Christ. And he does this that we might be reunited with him and might live with him, and that is the redemption side of the story. And so paradise lost becomes paradise regained. In Hebrews we find that the rebellious child, having washed his robe in the blood of the lamb, is the saved child, the redeemed child, the child who is in the image of the one who will come the one who took on our broken image. It's kind of an interesting thought to think that that, that throughout eternity, Jesus is the only one who will carry with him the scars of sin, will be transformed, changed in the twinkling of an eye, but he'll have his scars forever. Our diseases and our infirmities, Isaiah says, will be cured. But he'll bear with us, with him, the marks of our rebellion forever. And so, my friends, today, when I want you to think about who you are, I want you to think in terms of who God says you are. Because you are not without God the first thing we accept and learn is that God created and we did not create ourselves. Now, look around you. You will see people with different hair colors and types and thicknesses. Rafi, can I pick on you? Rafi's a friend of mine from way back. A guy like Rafi... You know, he's just a little different because his hair starts here and it ends somewhere down here. He's a great guy, a beautiful guy. We all look different. There's sort of a genetic thing to the way we look. Some of us have slightly darker skin or very dark skin. Some of us have brown eyes, some green, some blue Some of us are real blondes, not very many. A lot of us are processed blondes and happy to be such, and God bless you all. It's a great country. But all of the differences that you see in humankind, from the pygmy who's four foot two to the enormous basketball players 
Well, actually, it's a, in general, the Dutch people are the tallest people on earth, by the way, as a race. The people in the Netherlands right now are the tallest people on earth. Now, there are people taller who beat their averages, but they're overall the tallest. So from the pygmies to the Dutch, and from the shortest of the short to the tallest basketball player we have on, on the court, the amount of genetic difference between us is minuscule. And science says we all come from one mother. So that the world has changed and that we have, by region and type, adapted somewhat to the environment need not discourage you. We bear collectively the image of the God who made us. He is our maker and we have been made like him. And we have been given dominion together. Not that we might fight each other and destroy this place. Not that we might harvest from the earth everything good and destroy it, but that we might cultivate it and care for it and tend to it. And in this story, we have rebelled and destroyed the world and ourselves. And a Savior has come. We are the children of God, and we are children of God so beloved that he spared not his son. You know the text. I've repeated it. You've heard it since Craterol from your mother's womb. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have ever life. God so loves us as his children, his wayward, rebellious children that he gave up his son that we might have life. And we do. When Son of God, maker of heaven and earth, meets a sinner on the tree, he promises, without merit, that this man will be with him again someday in paradise. Restoration will take place. And then in John, we read again, how great the love of the Father is. And how much love he's lavished on each of us that we get to be called children of God. And then it doesn't just say that's what we're called. That's just a name. That's something we sort of get to, a persona we get to wear. An identity we just sort of uh, put on like a mask. It goes on to say, and that is what we are. being. Remember at the burning bush, God says to Moses, you want to know my name? I'll tell you who I am. My name is I am that I am. You don't know my name. My name, my being is the ground of existence, the holy ground on which you walk, for which you've taken off your shoes. The very being that you have is grounded in who I am. I am that I am. Acts 17.42 In him we live and move and have our being. 
And he says, and that is what you are, children of God. If Irvin could have kept that in his head, if he'd known how special he was by virtue of creation, and how special his children were and his wife by virtue of creation, if he'd known that his identity didn't depend on his job or his income or keeping his house, if he'd understood that the same one who created him wanted for him life that was more abundant and not defined by things, but defined in being, if he had understood that this same God who created in love reached out in love in such a powerful way, such a compelling way, that he gave his son to die for us, to redeem us, that we might truly be children of God again. Image restored. If he understood the declaration that is made and affirmed again and again by God in Scripture. You are my son. You are my daughter. How great the love of God is. He's lavished on us. You and I get to be called children of God. And that is what we are. The very grounding of our very being is this, nothing else. The scriptures teach another truth related, don't they? Naked I was born into this world, and naked I shall go. Graphic as that might be, the truth of the matter is, I came in with nothing but the package. And I'm leaving with nothing but the package that is this body. Right? And I'm sorry to say, as much as I would wish it for you, you don't get to do any better. That's the way it is. So today, my friends, we leave this place, hopefully, with a renewed sense of awareness about who we are, individually and collectively. I want you to say this with me. I, and then substitute your name, am a child of the living God. Say it with me. I, Greg Honus, am a child of the living God. And that is what you are.